Hey, this is Todd and Julie Mullen, senior pastors here at Christ Fellowship Church in South Florida. Whether you're across the street or across the world, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to join for this message. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you to get more out of life. Hey, church. Listen. After that introduction, I'm going to have to take Julie on the road with me to introduce me everywhere that I go. I mean, I don't know how it gets any better than that. It is so nice to be here at home at Christ Fellowship. And I say home because it is like that. You know, maybe the first 10 times I came, I was a guest, but I'm your cray-cray Aussie aunt, in case you're wondering. And um, Nick and I, we so love Pastor Todd and Julie, and it just feels, it's such an honour to be woven into the fabric of this house in more ways than you'll realise. You know, we just did a lap of the globe, which is pretty much what I do. People go, where do you live? I say, on an aeroplane. So that's pretty much it. But we just did 10 countries, visited a lot of our A21 offices and and had the opportunity to speak into the global church. But one amazing thing that happened, and for those of you that, you know, regularly give to this house, you need to know that part of your uh, missions offering goes to A21. And just from this trip, we went to the house where this rescue happened. And in Athens, Greece, uh, in an apartment, there were uh, 52 Colombian girls rescued and 22 traffickers captured that are now in jail and are being prosecuted, which is stunning. And I could tell you story after story of what uh, the Lord is doing um, through the work of A21. And I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you because your giving um, enables that to happen. And we're going to dive into the Word today. I am married to the single most ravishing piece of masculine flesh on earth, in case you're wondering who that might be. And um, my husband, Nick, and he's here um, with me. And so we've been married for 27 years. And we have two do- I know, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome to do anything for 27 minutes in this generation. So 27 years is great. And we have two daughters, Catherine Bobby, who is 21. She's a junior at Pepperdine and Sophia Joyce, who's a senior in high school. My husband is the 15th of 17 children. Hang on, I just exaggerated. The 14th of 15. I just, because what he did was his mother had 15 full-term pregnancies in 17 years. Every woman in the room just crossed her legs right now. I just want you all to know. It was like, you should see. Uh, Right, there was like no television in that part of Australia, that's for sure. But the reason I'm telling you that is only because my mother-in-law, she never thought you were a woman until you had like, 10. And so I've only got two. That's the whole point. And I would take my two kids. I would say, this is Catherine Bobby. And this is my alpha. And this is Sophia Joyce. And this is the omega. And this is the beginning and the end of my childbearing years. So, but anyway, um, I'm Greek. So we're into arranged marriages. And I know my big fat Greek wedding three has just come out and I can't wait to see it. So don't tell me if it's I shouldn't. Um, so I can't wait to see it. But I'm saying that to you because I'm into arranged marriages. So I've spoken of my daughter since she was married. Catherine, Bobby, you are the head and not the tail. You're above only and not beneath. You're a leader and not a follower. You're a woman of God, a woman of prayer, a Holy Ghost terrorist. You love the house of God. This is the best part. And you're going to grow up and marry a very, very, very wealthy Christian man. So I'm just saying that. Now, please see Pastor Julie at the end of the service if you have a son, cousin, nephew that fits that criteria because I'm into arranged marriages. You're like, get to the Bible, girl. Okay, let's dive in. 
We're going to go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he told the disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, see there or see here. Don't follow or run after them. For as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in His day. But first, everyone say, but first. But first, that's very American, but first. But first, but first it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. I hope you're feeling encouraged in church today. I know you're like, did we come this Sunday? Like, really? Okay. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down and get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember, Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. And I always tell my husband, I'm not gonna be the one left behind. He can, whatever. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked him. He said to them, where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. And this is the word of the Lord. And I'm sure this Sunday morning, you'd wished I'd picked another word of the Lord. It's like, there we go. Here, Jesus is having a discussion and He's talking about the Kingdom of God and the Kingdom of God that's been realised in the fact that He has come, God incarnate, Jesus in the flesh is here. The Kingdom of God is here, but it has not been fully realised. The New Testament theologian scholar N.T. Wright says, it's the tension between the already and not yet. Jesus has come, the Kingdom has already been realised, but it's not yet fully realised. How do we know it's not yet fully realised? Well, I just told you, the work of A21 around the world, I see evil and trafficking and injustice every day, and so do you. There is pain, there is suffering, there is disease, there is war, there are natural disasters. There is so much pain on the earth. So we know that it's not yet fully realised and we long for that day. And that sky is gonna split and Jesus is gonna come back and there is going to be a new heaven and there is going to be a new earth and there will be no more pain and there will be no more suffering and there will be no more injustice. So we long, we're living between the two advents of Christ. He has come and He is coming again. So in here is what would be called an eschatological discourse. And the reason I say that word is because I practised it in front of the mirror for a long time. So I needed to make sure that it came out. Basically, it's just a discussion about the end times. Now in the world today, there's a lot of discussions about the end times. And really, I've been a believer for 35 years. When I came 
When I got saved in, in the late 80s in Australia, everybody was talking about the end times. I mean, they had charts. I don't know if it was like that in America, but there was charts and people were calling out the Antichrist and, and what the mark of the beast was. And I mean, it freaked me out. It like literally scared the out of me and made me come into the kingdom of God. But the fact is that everything that they said on those charts it wasn't true because we're still here. So anyway, the fact is I'm, I'm saying this because I'm about to save some of you hours on going down rabbit holes on Facebook because what happens is over the last few years, I mean, we've had everything. We've had pandemics and natural disasters and we've had wars. And do you remember like we even had plagues? I was thinking we were in the book of Exodus. I'm like, what is going on? What is next? Every day you wake up and there's something else and everyone's looking like, is this the end? And then people start freaking out and people start going down um, Facebook rabbit trails and then people start running away and everyone's talking about it. And the fact is, I didn't really come here to discuss this, although... This whole text is about the end times. But I'll give you my entire theology on the end times. It's really deep. Here it goes. This is, this is how deep it gets. After four years of grad school, this is what it comes down for me. Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows. Don't waste your time. <laughs> Jesus actually said no one knows the day or the hour. So I don't even know why we're reading books about it because nobody knows. This is how we should live as followers of Christ, as if it's gonna happen tomorrow. And we plan and prepare as if it's not gonna happen for generations. All of us should be living like that every minute of every day as followers of Jesus. This is not our home we're passing through. But the reason I read that text is because looking at the world and particularly the last seven years, and particularly the future that we're walking into, you could look at that and go, is Jesus talking about now? I mean, things are just crazy. But in the midst of all of this discussion, Jesus drops three little words that so caught my attention that appear random. And in fact, it is the second shortest verse in Scripture. So the shortest verse in the Bible is what? You are such a well-taught church. There's deep theology is happening here, I can tell. That's it. Jesus wept, that's correct. But the second shortest verse is in John, John, right here in Luke 17, verse 32. And it simply says, Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Now here he is talking about Noah, the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, fire and sulphur. I mean, you know, running down off a roof, jumping, getting um, raptured out of bed. I mean, I mean, the whole thing's happening. And in the middle of it all, he's like, remember Lot's wife? I'm like, okay, that's random. It's random. Remember Lot's wife. There are 170 women that are either alluded to or mentioned by name in Scripture. 170 but there is only one woman that Jesus ever tells us to remember. And He only ever tells us to remember this one woman in the context of talking about the end times. I would wonder with where we are on the earth today, whether now would be a really good time to remember the one woman Jesus told us to remember while everything was burning down. I wonder whether this would be the moment that we ought to remember Lot's wife, a woman that most of us that have been in church life for a really long time have probably never even heard a message on, and yet she's the only woman that Jesus told us to remember. 
Remember Lot's wife. Now, if I was Eve, I would be ticked off. Because <laughs> I'm like, really, Jesus? Like Lot's wife. I was first. I came out of a rib and I have been blamed for all the problems of humanity for all of history. I mean, seriously. <laughs> if I was Sarah, I'd be ticked off. I'm like, I popped out a kid at 90 without an epidural. Like, really? I mean, I could go on. I mean, especially his mother. Like, Mary's like, I birthed you, kid. Like, anyway, so remember Lot's wife. But here's a woman that she appears on the pages of Scripture only quickly enough to disappear. I mean, we don't even know her name. Lot's wife. I mean, that would not cut it in 2023 in the Western world. What's your name? Lot's wife. No. And so... Of course, that took me to Genesis where we find the story of Lot's wife, Abram and Lot had parted ways in Genesis 13. I'll read you the scripture. In Genesis 13, Abram and Lot had had parted ways and it says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And so often... Obviously, Lot set up his tent at the edge of Sodom. I don't know if that's where he met his wife. I don't know if he met and married her in Sodom and Gomorrah. But he went right on the edge and Scripture talks about the fact that the men of Sodom were wicked and did detestable acts before the Lord. And of course, even just in our normal conversation, whether you're from church or not from church, as soon as we hear the name Sodom and Gomorrah, it's instantly associated in culture with immorality and iniquity, and that is definitely the truth, and it very much represents the world that we live in, incredible immorality. But I want you to know that the reason God was done with Sodom and Gomorrah was not only because of sexual immorality and iniquity, and normally when we think of that, we tend to think, of particular sexual sins, and normally they're the ones that we're not committing today ourselves. So that's the one that we normally think is the one that God hates the most. That will land, and I'm gonna go over here to the Presbyterian church, because <laughs> there was like an ouch over there. So they're the, But I do want you to see from Ezekiel what the prophet said, why God burnt things down. And it says in Ezekiel 16, Verse 49 to 50, now this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. I want you to see the fullness of it. She and her daughters had pride, plenty of food and comfortable security, but didn't respond to the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable acts before me. So I removed them when I saw this. You know, we've had a lot of shaking over the last seven or eight years, both in the church and in the world. The writer to the Hebrews says, whatever those things that can be shaken will be shaken so that those things that cannot be shaken shall remain. There's been a reckoning. There is no doubt about it. And there needed to be. But I need you to know that personal righteousness matters to God and sanctification matters to God. But also and also what matters is that you and I care for those that God cares for. I thank God that on September the 23rd, we've got our make a meal. You you all just like slept through that, like half a million meals. I'm like, do you realise that's not normal for one local church to make half a million meals for people that need meals? That's what, 
And I particularly like September the 23rd because that's my 57th birthday. So you can give presents to Julie and she'll give them to me. So that's fine. Just remember that. But the deal is that any church or Christian that is full of pride, plenty of food, comfortable security, and doesn't think of the poor and the needy. The Lord's like, you know what? So much of the reckoning and the shaking that's been happening is like, I'm done. I'm done with religious systems. I'm done with just going through the motions. This is, this is more than that. This is a life that is given over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And He said of Sodom, I'm done. I'm done with their comfortable ease, their pride, their arrogance. They reject those that are marginalised and the least of these and those that I love. And also they are abounding in sexual immorality and iniquity. So I'm done with how it was. So he decided he was gonna save Lot, Lot's wife and their two daughters and sends an angel of the Lord to take them out of this city that is literally burning to the ground. And in many ways, over the last few years, life as we've known it has been burning to the ground. It's like it's finished and you're like, what is going on? So the Lord said, angels of the Lord to come and rescue them. And in Genesis 19, 17, it says, and as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And this is the only thing we know about Lot's wife now in Genesis 19:26. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. The one thing she was told not to do because God had sent an angel to rescue them because He wasn't finished with them. Everything, life as they knew it was burning down, but the provision of God was ahead of them. The purpose of God was still ahead of them. The promise of God was still ahead of them. And the angel of the Lord is don't look back. And in that phrase in Hebrew is the inference of looking back with longing, wanting to go back, go back to how things were, go back to what was. And I don't really blame her. I wouldn't blame her because so much of her extended family would have been there. So much of her life was still back there. So many of her memories were still back there. Everything she knew was still back there. I mean, she she might've just renovated the bathroom. I don't know, but it was just back there. And so she's looking back and she ends up becoming calcified and stuck and becoming a pillar of salt. And Lot's wife got stuck in a place that she should have only been passing through because she prioritised her past over her future. She made a decision that she was going to fixate on what was rather than fix her eyes on what will be. Her attachment to the past outweighed her commitment to the future. And so she ended up getting stuck. She wanted what she had more than what God had for her. And I wonder how many of us are right in that place now. As life as we know it has been burning down, politically, economically, socially, environmentally, morally, ethically. I mean, it's like whiplash. I've never seen things change in my lifetime as rapidly as I've seen them change over the last six, seven years. In many ways, I don't even recognise half of the planet that I'm raising my daughters in. I'm like, what happened? 
So many things have changed in so many different areas, but I wonder whether we're actually more attached to the past than we are to the future. I can't tell you as I travel how many people are saying to me, you know, like, Chris, I just wish things would go back to normal. I'm like, they never are. It, pe- people are defining life, not, not BCAD, like before Christ and O'Domini. It's kind of like before COVID, after COVID. I'm like, COVID did not split time. Jesus split time, people. Split time, people. Jesus split time. And you know, I don't have time to unpack it this morning. But if you go on and continue to read that text, what happens to Lot's daughters and Lot because Lot's wife became stuck is disastrous. I'm speaking to mothers in the room this morning. For a generation, you can't stop and get stuck because generations are at stake. And when the mothers get stuck, the daughters end up going crazy. When the mothers get stuck, society ends up going crazy. And if you read that story and you look at what happens to Lot and his daughters, you look at the world today, And I'm like, whoa, we got a lot of stuck people that are abdicating their role. And because we're abdicating our role, the enemy's coming in like a flood and wiping away a generation. And we've got to say, not on our watch. I am not getting stuck. I am going to be there for the next generation. I'm not getting stuck. And so the point is that there is no going back to normal. The world has shifted and the world has changed, but a lot of us have not moved forward with what it is that God's doing. Do you remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus? They were coming, they were going back to Emmaus. Jesus had been crucified and buried. They didn't know that Jesus had been resurrected. So they were so disappointed. And in Luke 24, 21, they said, we had thought, we had hoped that He was the one that was gonna redeem Israel. We had hoped it was Him, but we were hoping that He was the one. Now Jesus is with them, but they are so stuck in their disappointment that they don't even recognise that Jesus is with them. And so they were saying, we were hoping He was the one. And a lot of us have got stuck because we were hoping, we were hoping that marriage was gonna work out. We were hoping that those kids would be in the house of God by now. We were hoping that that business was going to prosper and flourish. We were hoping that we were gonna get that promotion. We were hoping that we were gonna get that scholarship into that school. We were hoping that that person wasn't gonna die and our hopes didn't come to pass and we got stuck. And we got stuck in our disappointment or we got stuck in our offence or we got stuck in our betrayal or we got stuck in something that happened to us in our past or we got stuck in words that people spoke over our lives, or we got stuck somewhere in life, in our apathy, in our lethargy, and we stopped moving forward because we were hoping that thing was gonna come through. We were hoping that person was gonna come through. We were hoping that job was gonna give me the significance or the security or the the resources that I I, I wanted that, that would make me matter. And I wonder if what's happened over the last few years is that what has been revealed to us is our misplaced hopes. Because we thought people or systems or structures or things 
were going to give us the significance or the security or the identity or the value that we so desperately seek for. We were trying to get from people and things what we could only get from God. And the writer to the Hebrews says, Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, both firm and secure. And a lot of us have been drifting over the last few years, not because the anchor is not secure, but we got ourselves detached from the anchor. And we put our hope in our job, we put our hope in that relationship, we put our hope in that position, we put our hope in that title, we put our hope in that status, we put our hope in that political party, we put our hope in that economic condition. And when it didn't deliver what only God could deliver, we got stuck and offended with God. And we got stuck and fixated. And then we got swept up in the narrative of the culture that says, get fixated on what happened to you get fixated in what they said about you. And we become stuck. And we become stuck in wanting our vengeance and stuck in wanting our vindication. And we, the, the promise of God is still in the future because all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus, yes and amen. And guess what? Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And I know the world's changed economically and politically and morally and socially, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus, yes and amen. And the same Jesus that's faithful to my team in Kiev, Ukraine, that's now in Poland, during a war is the same Jesus that can be faithful to us right here in West Palm Beach in Southern California is the same Jesus that's gonna be faithful to the people in Morocco right now because it's not based on the economy or the environment or the social system around us or the moral system around us. Our hope is never in those things. Our hope is in Jesus. Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, both firm and secure. It always was Jesus, it always will be Jesus. But so many of us have got stuck because man, we put our hope in so many other things and that's all that's been revealed over this period. And instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher, we fix our eyes on what did or didn't happen, what they did or didn't say, and we become stuck and we become calcified and become a pillar of salt. And the only one that wins is the enemy. Because in the New Testament, of course, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And if we are busy being stuck and calcified at some point of hurt or disappointment or disillusionment or bitterness or offence, then we are not salting the earth in our sphere of influence in the future that God has for us. And so many of us have gotten Stuck. And as we go forward, I can't promise you a better world because it's not getting any better if we read this book and believe what it says. But you and I, oh, can we thrive in it? Yes. Can we flourish in it? Absolutely. Because our ultimate hope and peace and joy doesn't come from our external circumstances. Our peace is to be found in a person. His name is Jesus. Our hope is to be found in a person. His name is Jesus. Our joy is to be found in a person. His name is Jesus. So it's not contingent on what's happening around us. It's contingent on what's happening in us. And so if you and I are going to thrive and flourish, then we have to realign where our hope is placed. 
Now Lot's wife got stuck because her hope was in her past, not in the future. And a lot of us, we've gotten stuck. I remember when we had our, the pandemic at first, I know you're in Florida, so you don't know what that is, but I'm from California. So just in case you were wondering what we were doing in 2020, we had a pandemic. So in that, we had a global lockdown. And um, so we've got 19 offices in 14 countries. So we had all of our staff on what we call the upper Zoom room. We would all meet on Zoom. And I'm going, this is not gonna be boring. We're gonna have a Holy Spirit revival in the upper Zoom room. So we met in the upper Zoom. And so I read to them from the, from the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 9:12. The children of Israel had been in captivity, in bondage in Babylon. They had come back to Jerusalem and they had hoped, man, everything will go back to normal. They had hoped it was gonna be like it was and then they got back and the temple was decimated. The city walls were in ruins and they were surrounded by enemies. Their hopes were shattered. So many of us haven't kick-started again because so many of our hopes have been shattered. And the prophet said, you were prisoners in Babylon, physically. Now, that you're back in Jerusalem, you have to become prisoners of hope. And the scripture says, and I will restore to you double. I remember when the whole thing happened, I said to our staff, I said, I, um, I'm believing that while we're in a lockdown and this is impossible, that we are going to see God come through in miraculous ways and we're gonna believe God because our hope was never in a marketing campaign. Our hope was never whether there was a war or not a war. Our hope was never in the fact that, you know, the economy is gonna dictate what God wants to do. Our hope is in Jesus. And I said to them all, I'm so glad you're gonna see this because you're gonna see the faithfulness of God and you're gonna see God can do what marketing can never do, that God can open doors that no man can shut, that God can make a way where there is no way. He's a God that still Red Seas, he still tears down Jericho walls, he still pushes back River Jordans, God still does it. And I said to them, I want you. We're gonna be, we're all metaphorical prisoners in this place, except for Texas and Florida, but all our other officers, we are all metaphorical prisoners. We can't choose that, but we can choose the kind of prisoners we're gonna be. And we are not gonna be prisoners of fear or prisoners of despair, but we are gonna be prisoners of hope. Why can I have hope no matter what's happening in the world around me? Because my hope's not contingent on what's happening around me. It's contingent on Jesus. And Jesus is this hope that we have. That is what sets us apart from a hopeless world. Our hope is in Christ. It doesn't mean our circumstances are awesome. It means our God is awesome and that our God is greater than our circumstances. Our God is greater than our past. That's where our hope lies. And I said, I, I want you all to get a pen and paper and because they were all millennials, they don't know what that is. So I had to hold it up and give them an object lesson. I said, this is a pen and this is a paper. I said, I want you to write the word double. And I said, I'm believing when we come out of this season, however long it's gonna be, that we're gonna see God have done double. And so they wrote it and I said, I want you to stick that piece of paper where you're gonna most often see it, which so put on your refrigerator right now. That's where it'll be. And every time you come to that refrigerator, I want you to pray and believe God for a miracle, you're gonna see that prayer can do things that marketing can never do. I want you to see that God's gonna do it. And so 
We did that. Now here I am. I'm, by God's grace, I'm standing here in 2023 in front of you. And I can say to you, we have never in the history of A21, we have never had more survivors that are in our care, more victims that have been rescued, more traffickers that have been prosecuted, more people reached with, a mem- with a prevention and awareness. Why? Because Jesus is our hope. And he wasn't shocked suddenly. It's not that he thought 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, I don't know what's going on, I have to change my plans. He's not up in heaven rearranging his plans. His plan prevails. His purpose prevails. His promises prevail. Why do I know that? Because all the promises of God are what? In Christ Jesus, yes and amen. If God said it, God will do it. It doesn't matter what's happening around us, God will take us to our future because God said it. So what's our job? To do what the Apostle Paul said. For some of us, it's time. It's time to shake some stuff off because it's 2023 and you're living like it's 2020. And so the issue is that it's a new day. The prophet Isaiah says, behold, I do a new thing, declares the Lord. Do you not perceive it? A lot of Christians are gonna miss it, but God is doing it. He said, I'm making a way in the wilderness. I'm making rivers and I'm forming rivers in the wilderness and I'm making paths in the, in the deserts. And so the fact is God's making a way. It's a new thing. It's a new day. So our job is forgetting those things that lie behind. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying I'm diminishing or dismissing or denying the pain or the suffering or the loss or the grief or the trauma. You know my background. You know I was left in a hospital unnamed and unwanted. I was sexually abused for 12 years. I grew up in the poorest zip code in my state. I know what trauma is. I know what pain is, but I made a decision. I'm gonna make what Jesus did for me bigger than what they did to me. I am going to make what Jesus did for me bigger than what anyone said about me. So the blood of Jesus does not give us amnesia, but it does give us a life beyond our past. Can I just tell you, don't buy into the narrative of this generation that says your history defines your destiny. Make a decision. The blood of Jesus is what defines my destiny and the blood of Jesus set me free. There is no more potent force on the planet than the blood of Jesus. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that lie behind and straining towards those things that are ahead. The church has forgotten how to strain. Oh, no, no, we don't, we don't like to strain anymore. Whew, what do you mean? Ugh, open my Bible. What do you mean get in the car and go to church? It's very quiet in this Presbyterian church. I'm going over here. <laughs> you know, what happened is we got so, we got so good at, at wearing sweats and just a nice little top for the camera that most of us haven't even worn hard pants for three years. We wouldn't even know what that's like anymore. And so what's happened is our spiritual muscles have atrophied. Our faith muscle is down and we're stuck. We're not believing God anymore. We're not straining anymore. We're just accepting life. And we're looking for a cop out rather than stepping into the purposes of God. He says, straining toward those things that are ahead, I press. In the Greek, that word press is to exert a steady force against. And it's time for the church to start exerting a steady force against some things. It really is. 
You know, we were coming down to come to church this morning and there's a dude at the lift, a guy at the lift, at the elevator, you call it in America. Sorry, that was Australian. Some of you need the gift of the interpretation of tongues. Okay, so that was the elevator. And he was saying a lot of four-letter words to that elevator very loudly, and none of them were love. And so he was going on about, and he was so frustrated because the elevator wasn't coming, but I could see like the light wasn't on. So I kind of went around him and pressed the button. I'm like, honey, you have to press the button in order for the, and I just feel like the Lord's saying to some people, you're standing there, you're so frustrated and you're so stuck and you're still in that same old place and God's like, press the button. You've got to press through a little bit into the purpose and the promise of God. Some of us have forgotten that without God, we can scale any wall and we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us, that greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives on the inside of us, that you know what, you and I might be small, but our God is big, that we are finite, but He is infinite, that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we could ever ask, hope or think that our eyes have not seen, that our ears have not heard, nor has it entered into our hearts the things that God has for those that love Him. Let's not live small lives stuck in what was. Let's determine to lay a hold of all of that for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of us. We are gonna run toward the prize. We're gonna fix our eyes on Jesus and we are gonna run our race and finish our course in Jesus' Name. In Jesus' Name. We're going to finish our course. Let me just pray for you quickly, friend. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and this all starts, you can't run towards Him unless you surrender your life to Him. Only Jesus Christ can give us forgiveness for our past, a brand new start today and a hope for the future. You were created by God for a relationship with God. It's Jesus that connects us to God. And it's Jesus that connects us to the grace of God. He took this unnamed, unwanted, abused, adopted chick from the back of Sydney, Australia and gave me a brand new start. And the same Jesus that did it for me can do it for you. I just want every head bowed and every eye closed. And if you're in this room today and you say, Chris, I need a fresh start with Jesus Christ, either for the very first time, or maybe you've been away from God, cold in your heart, maybe even backslidden. But today, friends, stop running from Him, come home to Him. Say yes to Jesus. I just wanna pray for you. If you say, Chris, I need a fresh start with Jesus, right where you're sitting in that chair, I just wanna pray a very simple but powerful prayer for you to have a fresh start with Jesus. If you say, Chris, could you include me in that prayer? I wanna say yes to Jesus this morning. Would you just raise your hand wherever you are all across there? There are so many of you. I can see you right up to the back, every section. Keep that hand up high. I'm gonna pray a prayer. I want the whole room to pray this prayer out loud, especially all of you with your hands raised today. Church, let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I've raised my hand today because I recognise my need for You. I ask that You would forgive me for all of my sins, that You would give me a fresh start today and a hope for the future. I want to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ every single day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' Name, Amen, Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you. Thank you again for spending time with us today. If you're looking to take a step in discovering the more that God has in store for you, just text the word PODCAST to the number 
441 and select the option that applies to you. And if you enjoyed this message, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. A special thanks to those of you who generously give to all that God is calling us to do together. It's because of you that everything that we do is possible. We'll see you right back here for next week's message.